This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again to this signing day edition, uh, signing day week edition of the Husker Online show as not a lot to talk about um, on that front. And we knew that uh, we kind of hit on hitting on that last week. But, you know, in years past, I mean, Nate and I were joking off the air. I mean, this was like the come to the office at 5 a.m. Who's bringing the donuts and we're going to sit around and, um, you know, be locked into announcements all morning and frantically contacting kids to see if they've signed their letter and faxed their letter in. And Mike Mattia, God bless him, did that for years for us, was logging, logging on and getting uh, the, the fax updates and information out there on, on who signed the letters. And um, we knew it was all going to shift to December. Um, I, I think when uh, the rule first came into play, Nate, I think a lot of us thought it was going to be maybe – 60% of kids would sign in December and maybe 40%, but it's honestly more like 80, 85% uh, are signing in December now. And I'd be curious of the ones that didn't sign in December were tied to schools that had coaching changes. Yeah. Coaching changes. Or if you're like in that top 10% of all recruits in the country that can kind of afford to drag things out. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I, I want to say in the rivals top 100, heading into signing day there were 13 unsigned recruits in the entire top 100 and so i mean that three years ago or whenever whenever this whole thing the whole early signing day first started i i didn't really foresee it being quite that popular i thought it would be but uh for there to be 13 in the top 100 unsigned um heading into february 5th that that was uh that's a little surprising you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as, as we talk uh, signing day and and kind of where things are at going forward. And th- and this is going to be you know the the new norm for yep. Nebraska. And we got a taste of it last year. They only had one guy sign last this, last February as well, but they were a little bit more active with targets and offers. I think this year we just saw them just shut her down. I mean, really, there were two pursued targets. Um, you know, uh, Tanoa and obviously Chris Drain, the wide receiver that committed to Missouri, and that was it. I mean, um, it was all about 2021, 2022, and, and that was the theme really across the country. Yeah, and to me, it's a sign that Nebraska is finally getting caught up um, with with their recruitment in, in general. And Scott Frost kind of hit on it a little bit in the interview that that he did today with Rivals, but. Um, you know, they've, they've been kind of behind the eight ball ever since they got here and, and had to put, a, put together, uh, you know, a, a quick class in 2018 with only, you know, a handful of weeks and, and, and limited visits and everything. And, and uh, now they're finally caught up. And so that's why they were able to sign, you know, pretty much the entire class in December and, and really spend January working ahead to 2021, 22, 22, and even the, the class of 2023. So, um, you know, and I think this is going to be the new norm. You know, I think every year there might be only, you know, two or three guys, uh, at most, uh, generally speaking where, 
they're they're actively pursuing in and doing in-home visits or whatever uh, or, or bringing guys in for official visits in January and the rest of it's going to be working ahead uh, to the years to come and especially now that uh, that they've changed the official visit rule and that, that those numbers are resetting uh, prior to April 1st when underclassmen can start to take official visits I think everything's going to continue to get you know more more and more sped up in that regard and as far as coaching moves go we've seen this now everyone some schools have tried to make their moves in November and October to try to get things in place for the early signing day and and really none of those have worked out very well as far as getting the guy in place on time and getting the recruits on time and then we see the other model uh, wait until after December signing day and then make your move like Mississippi State did to get Mike Leach or what Michigan State's doing right now Michigan State obviously D'Antonio left on his own accord um, but I, I think this early signing day is going to make athletic directors think long and hard about making a coaching move at the end of the year. I mean, some I think some schools, like maybe a USC, will they make – I guess it depends on who the guy is, but if they ever let go of Clay Helton, could it be like a spring firing? I mean, would it be a off-season firing um, to, just to preserve a recruiting class? Because you really do lose a, an entire recruiting class now in recruiting with this early signing day. Well, yeah, I mean, just with any coaching change in general, I, I think you usually take a step back in recruiting. Uh, I mean, those transition classes are – I mean, I don't have specific data right in front of me, but very I, few work out. No, very few work out. Um, and so, or or your hit rate, I would, I guess, I would say is is much lower in a transition class than it would be normally. And so, and especially with the way the calendar fell this year, I mean, you only had two weeks after from the end of the season until until the dead period, um, you know, before the early signing day. Uh, to, to really have kids on campus or to be out on the road uh, conducting in-home visits and, and for official visits on the weekends and whatnot. So, um, I mean, if, if you were going to make a change, you had to be very proactive and you really needed to have all your ducks in a, in a row and, and things kind of ready to go so, so that uh, you could maximize those two weeks. Otherwise, you're pretty much, uh, I mean, you're pretty much setting yourself up for failure as far as recruiting goes. Anything, uh, we're, we're going to hear from Coach Frost here in our next segment as he joined um, Rivals.com um, with, with Woody Womack and, and Adam Gorney. But, you know, it's been a very quiet signing day from the Nebraska end, you know, no press conference. Um, I believe they're doing a booster event or they did a booster event, but it's not publicized. You have to be a high, high ranking booster to get invited to it, I believe. Um, but just a different feel with how Nebraska, I think, is approaching the offseason, Nate, and approaching signing day. Um, you know, it's our understanding we won't have any interview access as far as the local pool goes until the very first day of spring practice in early March. Um, so they, they've made kind of a conscious effort to, 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 to tamp things down a little bit here. I think this offseason would just with everything in general. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I don't think it's by coincidence that, that they've that they've kind of wanted to to scale back on on some exposure and and uh, you know and all that. I mean, there's there's been lots of things and, and especially I mean you're coming off of back to back seasons where um, you know it was kind of a disappointment. So um, you know there doesn't need to be a whole lot of talking right now. I think I think there needs to be a lot of work and and that's kind of where their focus is at. And and so it, you know in that regards it's not a huge surprise uh, and especially you know there's 
on, on signing day with with it not being what it used to be uh, you know it kind of takes um, kind of takes the the pressure off needing to have any sort of press conference or or whatever I mean all that is, all that takes place in December and you know lots of questions uh, that we all have about what's going on with Matt Lubick and and you know how he's going to blend in we haven't even talked to Matt Lubick yet so um, it is going to make for an interesting spring but final takes Nate when you just look at this recruiting class overall um if you were just to give me your one or two just broad brush takes on on the class in general um here in 2020 what would they be well yeah i I think the overall they addressed a lot of their needs extremely well Uh, i mean i really don't know if there's um, any glaring positions where you could say, man, they, they really dropped the ball there or, or that's going to be a problem down the road. I think for the most part, they, they addressed all those positions well and they got a lot of their top ranked guys, which is, is huge. Um, you know, anytime you can go out and, and target, you know, some of your, you know, high profile, highly ranked guys and, and end up reeling them in like an Omar Manning and, and Logan Smothers, you know, some of those guys that were at the very, very top of their board, um, you know, they, they got those players. And, and I think that's kind of a sign of things to come, you know, back to back top 20 classes. Uh, and I think that's going to become, you know, um, kind of the standard going forward is that this, this is a staff that can recruit at a high level. And, and, uh, uh, and I think once the wins start coming, that we should even see that kind of be ratcheted up a little bit more. All right. When we come back, um, Rivals.com's Adam Gorney and Woody Womack had a chance uh, to interview head coach Scott Frost. To our knowledge, it was the only interview he gave on National Signing Day along with the Husker Sports Radio Network, um, the official uh, network in Nebraska. So uh, we got an exclusive interview here at Rivals.com, and you'll get a chance to hear what Coach Frost had to say here next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here as a segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into any one of those Omaha Tanner locations or the one here in Lincoln. Catch all the Nebraska basketball action here on Saturday as Nebraska will take on Iowa at 5 o'clock. They'll have all the action. Uh, The XFL starts as well, so a lot of former Huskers uh, playing in that, a couple on that uh, St. Louis team, Brandon Riley, DeMorne Pearsonell, among others. So uh, watch the XFL, watch Nebraska basketball at those Tanner locations. But earlier here in the week on National Signing Day, Rivals.com got an opportunity to talk with head coach Scott Frost on their national show uh, with Woody Womack and Adam Gorney. And we thought it would only be fitting if we brought the interview here to the show. So here's everything Nebraska head coach Scott Frost had to say here as he joined Rivals.com on their national signing day coverage. Woody Womack and Adam Gorney here in lovely Los Angeles celebrating signing day. And we are joined by a very special guest, Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. Uh, Coach, how are you holding it down out there, wrapping up the 2020 class? Honestly, this uh, early signing day has changed a lot. It's it's pretty relaxing uh, now in February. Um, You know, we we may sign someone today. Uh, We might not. Uh, The majority of our work was done in the early signing period. Well, it's great for us because we can actually get you guys to come on. We had a lot of cancellations in December when, <laughs> when uh, some recruits didn't go a certain way. Uh, but it's been great for you guys down in Florida. You're going back into the Sunshine State, of course, where you had success at UCF. Uh, it seemed like you guys prioritized it. So tell us about uh, how, how you were able to get so many players from the state of Florida in this year's class. 
Yeah, I'll start with this. You know, we're going to have to go all over the country and try to find the right guys, the guys that fit us, high-character kids with, that are, are great athletes. Um, it's funny how it worked out. I think our first signing class, we had quite a few Florida guys last year, not as many, and, and did better in other places. And uh, this year uh, did really well in Florida again. I, I think our coaching staff has a lot of credibility built up down there with, with coaches and kids because of uh, what we were able to do in Orlando and that certainly helps us. Um, several guys on our staff did a great job recruiting down there, especially Travis Fisher. Scott, you also got to stay home, though, and go to Bellevue and get one of the best receivers in the country, the best player in the state, Xavier Betts. Tell us about him, how he fits in the offense, and was this one ever really a surprise? Well, I think one of the big things we were missing last year uh, were playmakers on the perimeter. And um, with our offense, that's a necessity to make it go the way that we want it to. Uh, it's great when, in, in our opinion, one, one of the best guys that I saw all year at that position was right down the road from us. Um, Xavier's got a little work to do make sure he gets everything finished uh, in high school academically, uh, but uh, we're really excited about him. He gives us a, a big presence on the outside. Uh, he's really gifted, and uh, I can't wait to get him in the program. You also uh, went out and found a quarterback in this class. Hopefully he'll be throwing him the ball. Uh, Logan Smothers, tell us about him and uh, why he was the guy you guys zeroed in on at the position. Well, uh, I think our staff's done a good job of selecting the right quarterback over the years. Um, you know, Look at the success rate of quarterbacks in our system from uh, Darren Thomas and Marcus Mariota and, and Vernon Adams at Oregon and Mackenzie Milton at UCF and uh Adrian Martinez here. I think we've done a good job identifying. Logan was a guy that uh, was probably our favorite guy right from the, the first time that I watched him uh, on tape. Has the, the speed and athleticism that we're looking for. Has a clean stroke. Um, he's the coach's son. Really tough. Really smart. Uh, I think we're going to get him in here and, and turn him into a fabulous player. You mentioned Adrian Martinez. How much of this offseason was really thinking about getting him more success in this offense, and how important was that bringing in Matt Lubick to get that done? Um, I, I think that's going to help us. And Matt, Matt is one of the few coaches in the country that can come in and hit the ground running. Uh, already knew our scheme or the majority of it uh, from our time together out in Eugene. Um, I think it's going to help us be more organized, probably communicate better on, on game day, uh, just having somebody that I'm not familiar with. Um, it's great having him in town. Hey, you mentioned being able to kind of sit back and relax uh, on this because of the early signing period, but how important was the month of January for you and your staff to get out and start those evaluations and really develop uh, you know, your target list for 2021? Yeah, unless you're involved in recruiting uh, as a coach or, or guys like you, Woody and Adam, you, you probably don't understand this, but it's taken us up until this, until right now to really catch up uh, in recruiting, and, and what I mean by that is when you're, you know, signing a class early on when you first get to a spot, and then you're trying to move on to the next class, you're already half a year, a year behind on that class, and um, this is the first time we've been able to kind of use January more as spring recruiting and get a jump start on next year's class. Uh, I think that'll help us to, to be even more ahead than we have been, and I think it'll help us down the road. All right, Coach, we really appreciate you joining us, and best of luck as you get out there and try to uh, reel in those 2021 recruits. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And thanks again to Nebraska head coach Scott Frost, along with Adam Gorney and Woody Womack for providing that interview here as 
they had a chance to sit down with Coach Frost and talk to him here on National Signing Day. When we come back, we'll bring in Robin Washett to the show as Nebraska basketball, as I said earlier, will be traveling out to Iowa. Robin will be making the trip, uh, so we'll get you ready for what's to come here this week for Nebraska basketball. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I, I've been pleased with the guys coming out and their approach and uh, going out there and leaving it all out on the floor. Tonight, it, it, that wasn't the case. And I, and I feel sick about it in our home building with an unbelievable crowd uh, to go out there and have that type of thing happen. And you, you got to find a way to compete for 40 minutes. And, you know, we did for the first 20 and then second half to see the head hanging. And I'm battling frustration with the guys. There's no question about that. Uh, with everything we're going through with the losing streak. Uh, but it's no excuse to not go out there and play your ass off and compete uh, all the way to the final buzzer, whether things are going great or things are, are, are you're struggling out there. It's got to be a consistent effort uh, every time we take the floor for 40 minutes. And it was not, that was not the case tonight. And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett on this National Signing Day uh, special edition here as a very quiet signing day. So uh, we did give Robin some time as we're going to talk some Nebraska basketball. And uh, it was not a very kind January to the Huskers. And it started off February 1 uh, the same way as Nebraska fell to a very good Penn State team, 76-64. to 64. Now the Huskers are on their, quote, bye week, Robin. Uh, they travel out to Iowa uh, to, to, I'm guessing, play a Hawkeye team that's very, very motivated to play Nebraska after the Huskers knock them off um, in Lincoln before having to go out to Maryland, um, who may be the best team right now in the Big Ten or one of the best teams. So, um it, we have the same conversation every week. It's just not easy. And last Saturday night's performance, coupled with now a trip to Iowa, um, this is a really, really tough stretch for Nebraska. Yeah, I think from now on, it doesn't really matter about the opponent. What matters right now over these next 10 games or whatever uh, is what goes on inside Nebraska's locker room and what goes on between the ears of each guy that steps on the floor uh, for these remaining games. What we saw in the second half of that Penn State game was probably the most concerning 20 minutes that we've seen I mean, maybe all season, uh, just because it's one thing to lose, but it's another thing to lose that way, where the first hit of adversity sets in and you put your head down, slump your shoulders and say, oh, here we go again and start throwing a pity party and act like you don't want to be there. And that is exactly why Fred Hoiberg was as visibly upset and critical of that loss in particular compared to really any of the others. I mean, just go back to, you know, the Rutgers loss. I mean, the same result, but Nebraska fought. Nebraska looked like they wanted to be there and they were giving everything they had to try and win that game. And as a result, it came down to, you know, the the game being in the balance in the final seconds. Well, Penn State, you know, they're within five points at halftime. They played a, a good 20 minutes. Penn State, obviously they're very good and they hit some threes to, to have a lead. But when they went out on an 8-0 run to start the second half, Nebraska just completely lost it. And they, they basically gave that and threw in the towel. And uh, the guys acted like they didn't want to be there. Um, the body language was terrible from top to bottom outside of maybe Charlie Easley and a call of rope. Uh, but really, it was just one of the most uh, disappointing efforts that we've seen. And, you know, there's been a lot of them, but I think this one t- uh, kind of 
was the icing on the cake because of where it is in the season. The fact that they've lost seven in a row, and you can tell that this is starting to uh, really wear on these guys. And how they respond during this week off, uh, you know, coming into Iowa, I think will ultimately determine what the rest of the season looks like. If it's going to be uh, an improvement where guys are still trying hard and fighting and trying to salvage some momentum going to next year, or does it completely blow up in their face and you're essentially starting from square one and over the offseason? You're listening here to the Husker Lion Show, Sean Callahan and Robin Washhead as we talk Nebraska basketball. And Robin, Cam Mack um, shows up late to a film session. Uh, I think I heard three minutes late, which obviously is late. And Fred Hoiberg suspends him or you know benches him to start that game. And um, I mean, that, that this late in the year, it just felt like Cam Mack had really turned a corner do you look at this as just uh, a misunderstanding or, you know, a one-time thing, or um, is, is this much bigger to you that, you know, he'd pull the shenanigan like this before a conference home game? Well, you know, it's hard to be overly critical because I mean, it's three minutes late for a film session, which in, you know, an individual sense could be a whole lot worse compared to what other guys do you know, around the country. If you're but, any later though, you may not play at all in the game. But here's the deal. This is the third time that's happened. It's the third time he's been uh, removed from a starting lineup this season. Uh, and you know, here we are in February and those types of things are still happening. And maybe that's the one good thing about what this season is right now is the fact that um, there is zero consequence to making a statement move like that if you're Fred Hoiberg. I mean, Cam Mack is far and away your best player. You will not win if he's not on the floor and playing well. But you know what? The bigger, uh, the more important thing is establishing that culture and establishing a, uh, a level of expectation that guys need to live up to on and off the floor. And even if it is just three minutes late, maybe you hit a couple stoplights because you were running a little bit late and you know, you're just a couple minutes late, you're still late. And the expectation is you need to be on time for everything. And it doesn't matter if you're uh, a freshman walk-on or the star point guard, uh, there will be consequences. And credit Fred for uh, putting his foot down and establishing uh, culture. Yeah, that culture. I mean, that's what the season, I mean, the wins are obviously the season is uh, basically a disaster in every sense as far as that goes. But you can do so much um, productive things in that regard by you know establishing those types of things and holding guys accountable regardless of their status on the team and you know cam max a perfect example of that that um you know you're you've basically uh, got three strikes now and uh it doesn't matter how good you are or what it does to our chances of winning uh, there will be a price if you don't do what's expected of you hey robin when i told you if i told you when charlie easley walked on to nebraska when we talked about it in the spring, that he'd be starting a Big Ten game for Nebraska in February, um, and I bet you a hundred bucks. Would you have taken the bet? Yes, yes, I would. Because you know, playing is one thing, starting is another thing. But Charlie Easley is the perfect example of you know the other side of what we're talking about with Cam Mack or any of those guys that you know have had issues. Charlie Easley brings it every single day, and he's not the most talented player on the team. He's the, not the biggest guy by any stretch. But you know what? He busts his ass, and he brings it every single day, and he know he does what Fred Hoiberg asks of him. And if you do that every single practice, every single game, you will be rewarded for it. And Charlie earned a scholarship. He earned playing time, and he earned a start as a guy that you know no one really even thought about uh, when this whole uh, roster revamp happened. And so you know Charlie Easley is the guy that you point to when you say, "Look at Charlie." 
do what he does. Do what he does in the weight room. Do what he does in the classroom. Do what he does in meetings and practice and in games, and you will be good. You will succeed. And so, it, you know, it's a freshman walk-on, well, former walk-on, but, I mean, that's the type of guy that, you know, we talk about building culture is the epitome of what you want as far as an example for the to take the lead for everybody else to follow. And there's a notion of people on our board particularly that just think that, the, oh, this is a feel-good one-semester deal. Um, once more recruits get here, once more guys are eligible to play because they're sitting out this year, that he's not even going to be a factor. I mean, do you buy that? I mean, do you think those other guys are all going to jump him, or do you do you see him being um, a factor down the road? Well, I mean, on paper, he's not going to be the most talented player, and he's not probably even going to be in the top seven or eight of that regard. It's just the way it he is. He wasn't on the top seven or eight this year. That's exactly my point. You know, it, it's one thing to be talented. It's another thing to do what you're supposed to do. And Charlie Easley is going to do what he's supposed to do, and he's going to continue to work harder than anybody else in the room to get better and you know we'll see how far that takes him but uh, if he continues to do that throughout the course of his career like I said there there will be rewards for that and he will have an opportunity to continue to show what he can do now grand scheme of things if you're Nebraska you know you hope to have NBA level players uh, that are leading the charge there but you know again as we've seen uh, guys can have much higher recruiting profiles that don't turn out because they don't put in the work that a guy like Charlie easily does. Well, it's Nebraska and Iowa. It's a five o'clock game on the BTN in Iowa City. Robin will be out there um, enjoying his time in Iowa City. I'm sure um, getting some good pizza at Wigan Pin or one of the many. What's your? You got a? You got a food agenda stop? I know you're going to go out there a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Um, meeting up with my old man, and uh, he's got some restaurant I've never heard of before. So he's he's a Iowa native. So. Uh, he's going to be the tour guide there. But, um, you know, we, we don't get to hang out in Iowa City very much because every time we go out there for Everything's football closed. and every time I go out there for basketball, it's a massive snowstorm that, you know, you're basically lucky to even get into town. So hopefully the weather holds up and uh, get to we did <laughs> experience the other side. We've enjoyed the hotel bar a lot yes, over the years. Exactly. There. I know the Coralville Marriott bar very well. Sean, I remember Sean Eichhorst was even drinking in that bar and he, he was masking his drink in a Starbucks cup. Remember that? <laughs> He didn't want to let people know he was drinking it out, and he had he had the uh, Starbucks cup. That's in. the most icor story ever. So that was always a good one. But anyway, we will take your questions in the mailbag next. Grace Harmon um, is going to join us here in studio. Uh, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and pleased to bring in Husker Online intern Grace Harmon here for the mailbag. Grace, um, I know not a lot going on for National Signing Day from the Nebraska end, but still some questions. What do you have to lead us off with? All right. Well, what junior college player do you see having the most immediate impact next year? I'm going to there, – there's a lot of JUCOs in this class, but I think Omar Manning is probably the easy one for me on offense. Uh, just looking how poor the position played last year at receiver for Nebraska. They lacked big body receivers. You heard Scott Frost on our interview here on Rivals.com uh, talking about Xavier Betts, um, just how poor they were on the perimeter. Well, Omar Manning instantly upgrades that. So that's my guy from the JUCO ranks. Yeah, I mean, Omar Manning's the obvious choice there. He's brought here for a reason. Um, and as Scott Frost said, he changes the look of Nebraska's offense because they just don't have another receiver with his skill set and his size. And uh, I think that there's probably not a better answer for that question than Omar Manning. Yeah, Manning's the guy. Uh, I would probably defensively look at Etava Malga uh, at the inside linebacker position. I think he's somebody who was super productive in junior college. 
Um, and maybe adds, uh, you know, a, a different element of athleticism to that inside linebacker position that they've kind of been missing. Uh, so I think uh, defensively, that's that's the guy I'm looking at. All right. So what are your thoughts on earlier this week, Dan Townsend stepping down from Michigan State? You know, big storyline. I, I think if you read the tea leaves, it felt like the end was near for Mark D'Antonio. Um, but, you know, with the early signing day and how fast that comes with the bowl game and other things that happen, um, I don't know. Maybe he, he kept thinking about it and thinking about it and then made the decision here this past week. To me, Luke Fickle's the no-brainer. I know Pat Narduzzi gets a lot of run, uh, but it, I think the similarities, if they go Luke Fickle or Erie, how close it is to Mark D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio was a former Ohio State D coordinator, just like Luke Fickle. They both went to Cincinnati for their first head coach jobs. Uh, they go to Cincinnati guy to be a Michigan State guy again. So that's where I go. I know Narduzzi's the other popular choice out there right now. I know a lot of people are wondering, you know, why the timing of it. And <laughs> there's uh, 4.3 million reasons why uh, D'Antonio waited as long as he did to make that decision. Because I think it was January something, 15th or 20th. I can't remember. But The retention bonus. Yeah, basically if he, if he stayed as the head coach through that date, he was going to get $4.3 million. And so he said, I'll take that money and uh, good luck, guys. See you later. Good luck with those sanctions. And so, yeah, as far as the successor, um, Narduzzi's the immediate obvious answer because just because of his connections, but I'm with you, Sean. I think Luke Fickle's a no-brainer. Uh, that dude did not get nearly enough run um, in the last coaching cycle um, round of it, and I think that he's well-deserving, and that would put Cincinnati next year coming to Lincoln in a much different place uh, than they would be otherwise. Yeah, I, I look at this whole deal, and, and I agree the writing has kind of been on the wall uh, for a while now. I mean, they've been dealing with a bunch of different things as a football program, as an athletic, um, you know, department as a whole there. But yeah, whoever put in that retention bonus clause in his <laughs> contract, uh, if it was Michigan State, they, they probably need to be fired. Or if it was his agent, um, you know, I, I think there's probably some people looking to, uh, to, to get new representation because that's the sole reason why he waited so long. I think it was January 15th. Plus, I think he he gets to be um, he gets to stay on for like two hundred thousand dollars a year for the next two years to be just be around the program or something like that. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, that's why he waited so long. And hopefully, he put that that bonus when he got it all on Tesla stock and yeah. and just cashed out this week on a bunch of Tesla stock as he could have probably tripled the money there over that period. <laughs> what do you got next? All right, so if you had to predict who has the first and second most rushing attempts next season. Well, Diedrich Mills, number one. I, I think after that, you could either say quarterback or one of the running backs, and that's that's the debate that we really don't know. I mean, Marvin Scott, to me, is going to get a great look. Obviously, whoever the starting quarterback is, I think, will be in that conversation as well. But you would have to think it's Mills right now. Then after that, it's really wide open. Yeah, and I think one thing, um, Wandale Robinson probably won't be in that equation because they want to cut down on the number of his carries. I know he was right up there. Uh, among the team leaders last season, and I don't think that's going to be the case again. Uh, they want to use him more as a receiver and maybe a, a complementary role uh, in the run game. And so that's going to open the door wide open uh, for some of those newcomer running backs. And, yeah, I think uh, Scott, just from the way he's put together, uh, makes him kind of a unique piece in that running back rotation to where uh, you know he's going to have a lot of opportunity, especially in short yardage situations. Yeah, I totally agree on Wandell Robinson uh, not getting nearly enough – uh, carries to be the second leading rusher or uh, as far as attempts go but I, yeah I think it's a toss-up between Marvin Scott and Savion Morrison and, and probably lead more towards Scott right now 
just because he's, uh, he's going to be physically ready from the minute he gets on campus. All right. What is one question you want fully answered by the time spring ball ends? Um, this was a good question this week we got, and I guess I'd, I'd stay on the offensive line. Is Bryce Benhart really good enough to kind of move everything around and, and truly move Matt Farniak to guard? I mean, they've been talking about Matt Farniak playing guard since Billy Devaney tried to make that move on Mike Cavanaugh um, over the bye week before the Purdue game um, in 2017. And it, it, Farniak wasn't ready then. Is he ready now in 2020 to play guard? It's probably where he'll get his look at in the next level if he goes in the NFL in some capacity. Um, so will Ben Hart be ready? That, that's, that's what I want to know. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that I've – obviously would like answers to but I just don't think we're going to get an answer at the end of spring and even on through fall camp um, you know just with some of the big uh, questions right now and so I think one thing that we can at least get a good sense of is um, you know what Lubick looks like as the offensive coordinator and what that, that, that dynamic the communication yeah looks like and just kind of the players reactions to that new voice as the offensive coordinator and how those two play off each other between Lubick and Frost uh, and just what types of changes that makes uh, within how the message is delivered offensively. Yeah, I'm with you, Robin. I don't think that we're going to get a ton of answers coming out of spring, but one area that I'm really looking forward to learning more about is the defensive line. They lost all the starters up front. Uh, so to me, it's going to be important for, for some guys to really emerge as as not just um, you know the new starters, but guys that can play at, at a level, um, at least you know, a comparable level level to what we've seen at the position over the last year or two. All right, we got time for about two more quick ones, Grace. All right, so does Travis Vokalek have a legitimate uh, chance to take Jack Stoll's job? Um, yeah, I, I just think Jack Stoll has meant so much to the program. I don't know if we'll ever see not having that or on the depth chart between those two guys, but I would be more surprised today if they're not co-number one. I mean, I, I just think everything we've heard at least leads you to believe that they have basically two starting tight ends, and Vokalek will be one of them. Yeah, Vokalek is everything that he's been talked up to be, then he very well should be at least a co-number one. I mean, uh, there was talk about him having NFL potential uh, before he even stepped on campus, and that's the reason why Nebraska added a transfer tight end to an already deep tight end room because he's that type of player. And so I mean, they need more production out of that room one way or another. And whoever it is, uh, they, they got to pick that up. And I think Travis Volkolek is the obvious choice to um, take that tight end room to the next level as far as in the receiving game. Yeah, I'm not sure what the depth chart will look like, but I think at the end of the year when you chart you know, total snaps – I, I think Vokalek will, will arguably lead that entire group. Um, but I do think that we're going to see a heavy rotation of Vokalek, Stoll, and, and Austin Allen. I think maybe the odd man out might be Kurt Raftall mm -hmm. in that group. Final question. All right. Now that Bo Pliny is once again employed at the D1 level again, do you have a wild tale from his time here? <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah. I mean, we got many uh, that we could go with. Um, I know Bo Pelini's first week on the job at Nebraska, he, for whatever reason, heard stories about me that I was some kind of renegade re recruiting reporter, and he called me up and just basically let me know who he was and used some strong language and said, if you cross the line at all, you're effing done. Uh, and so I had a, a couple of nice phone calls like that with Bo where he kind of wanted to be the macho dude in Marcus territory and um, let everybody know he was the boss, but... I mean, there are a lot of good moments with Bo, too. I mean, I, I had probably two or three pretty bad ones. Um, he was extremely paranoid over a lot of things as well, um, you know, and 
Um, you know, you knew when Bo was in a good mood, you knew when he was in a bad mood, and when he was in a bad mood, you just stayed the heck away from the guy. So, Nate, if you may have told me the story. I can't remember who told it to me, but it's probably you. Uh, but there was this tour, you know, he loved cargo shorts. Uh, it was his like, favorite thing to wear. Basically, as long as it was seasonably doable, he was going to do it. And so once, they're just going through the office one day. The coaches are all kind of talking, whatever. And he just like barges in somebody's door and has two sacks from uh, Old Navy. And he's like, buy one, get one on shorts, bros, or something, <laughs> something like that. And like, he bought like six or eight pairs of cargo shorts that he stocked up on. And it explains why those were the only things he wore at every practice. Yeah, I don't think I told you that story, <laughs> but that. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I totally believe it. I do know that he did buy his cargo shorts from Old Navy and Walmart only. Um, I mean, they were not Adidas issue. Yeah, they, I mean, they were not. Or you know, I mean, there was no. When when you're making millions of dollars, you know, Old Navy and Walmart aren't necessarily <laughs> the two places you shop. But that's the two places that that Bo had approved. Uh, Just the image of him holding two stuffed bags yeah. full of cargo shorts. The, I uh, wouldn't get one. The Bo Pelini Husker <laughs> Auto Group story, Nate. It's yeah. not. It's not for airwaves. We were not going to take too long. Yeah. And it, there, there's a lot of stuff we probably wouldn't want to say on the radio. But that, that's if you go listen to Nate or I speak, that's a pretty good story we tell at at private events. Yeah, that's that's probably, you know, one of that's got to be right up at the top of one of my best bow stories is uh to make a really long story short, he uh he he left one of his dealer cars on uh like uh, 12th and D or 13th and D and, and told the dealership um to go pick it up over a disagreement. Over a disagreement. <laughs> um it, it, there's a lot of colorful language in, in the story, but yeah, that's I mean that's got to be my one of my best bow stories for sure. All right. Well, that wraps up the mailbag. When we come back, Nate and I are going to close the show with some more recruiting thoughts on what's next for Nebraska as they look on at 2021. You're listening here to the Husker Online show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of this signing day edition of the Husker Online show. A very light signing day edition as far as news, um, but still, you know, kind of putting a bow on the recruiting year itself. And before we get to that, this segment of the Husker Online show brought to you by our friends at Kugler Vision. Nate Klaus, tell them about your experience at Kugler Vision. Yeah, I've had a fantastic experience at Kugler Vision and excited to say that right now is the best time to schedule your LASIK consultation at Kugler Vision. You go in for a consultation in the month of February and you're automatically entered to win an Omaha night out, a delicious dinner at 801 Chop House in the Old Market, and two tickets to see the Lumineers at CHI Health Center on March 14th. Uh, great opportunity to not only get rid of those contacts and glasses, but also have uh, you know an exciting night out with uh, your significant other. All right, Nate, as, as we kind of put a bow on this recruiting class, I'm going to ask you one kind of off-the-wall question. If there's a guy that you really thought Nebraska had a legitimate chance on that missed on, the one that got away, who's your one that got away for 20? Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I, I keep going back to um, – um, you know, now I'm just I'm drawing a complete uh, Rodney Gross, uh, the 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 inside and linebacker. Going to Wisconsin. Um, no, no. He oh the guy going to Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. Yeah, out of Alabama, committed to Nebraska. Um, I was a huge, huge fan of Rodney Gross. I and I know Nebraska was too. Uh, but I mean, he was he was you know primed to to make an early impact in my opinion. He's six two. Uh, 230, 235 pounds. I mean, just he, he was physically ready to step on the field right away. He was a mid-year enrollee, um, you know, and, and I think that 
Uh, I mean, that, that was one that hurt. Now, adding uh, a guy like Etava Malga uh, there, you know, and, and Keyshawn Green, I mean, that certainly helps kind of, you know, soften that blow. But uh, I think that's Rodney Gross is one of those guys that immediately comes to mind as far as, you know, somebody that, that you know, hurt that got away or that was that was kind of a miss because, um, you know, I think he was he was he's going to be a really good player. Plus, it was, you know, at a position of big need. Yeah, and, and, you know, locally they lost on Xavier Watts, but I just felt like that kind of went away. I mean, there wasn't a lot of, man, I can't believe they lost this guy. I mean, of all the in-state guys Nebraska's lost over the years, I felt like this one, even though it was Notre Dame, there just wasn't a lot of chatter throughout the high school football season. I can't believe this guy's not going to Nebraska. I know he's a talented kid, but I, I think a lot of people seem to be at peace with it, or maybe they're just used to seeing – one guy every year kind of do this. Yeah, you know, and, and you can't fault Xavier Watts for for uh, going to Notre Dame, uh, and he's a really good football player. But and, and I think one thing that kind of maybe softens that, or, or maybe why it ha- hasn't been a huge talking point amongst Nebraska fans, is because they did pretty well at the wide receiver position. When you look at Omar Manning and Will Nixon and, and Marcus Fleming, um, you know, and obviously Xavier Betts. I mean, these are these are all really really good players too. Uh, and I think you could argue that that they're all just as good, if not better, than Xavier Watts. And so, um, you know, I, and I never really did get the the feeling that that Xavier Watts was, um, you know, I think he was a priority, but I don't know if, if he was kind of a, if we don't get this guy, the whole recruiting class is, is you know, just down the toilet. I'd venture to guess his, after his commitment to Notre Dame, I don't know if Nebraska, I, I bet you Nebraska never even reached back out one more time. Yeah, I don't think so. I got I, the feeling it ended at that moment. Yeah, and, and I know, I know there was a conversation conversation that was had after he committed to Notre Dame, and it was basically along the lines of, uh, you know, if 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 anything changes, let us know. But otherwise, good luck. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I would be highly surprised if Nebraska ever reached out. And and again, I think that's because of the way they they kind of wrap things up at that position. Uh, I mean, when you got Omar, you got Omar Manning, who is by far and away your top wide receiver target and somebody that they absolutely needed um you know as far as junior college guys go and and Xavier uh, Betts was your top high school guy um I mean when you get your top high school and top juco you know wide receivers I think uh I think that really kind of softens the blow there well am I crazy to 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 be on team Elante Brown I mean I really think Elante Brown could be pretty good here too yeah absolutely and I think maybe he's he's maybe the forgotten guy uh, because he he's a prep school player, so he's he's not necessarily. I mean, I think he's a little little more advanced than your typical high school uh, kid, and, and he's not your your JUCO guy that you're expecting or um, to come in and, and be an instant impact type of player right away. Otherwise, you know, it might be looked at as a bust. Uh, and so I, I think he, he kind of is in between the two where uh, he he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I totally agree. I think I think he might be one of those sneaky. Uh, guys in the recruiting class that that is being overlooked but has a really good shot at making an impact next year Um, and especially because he's on campus already so uh, not I mean he's a year out of high school he's a little bit more advanced plus he's he's on campus early he's going to be able to go through winter conditioning and then spring football and so uh, yeah he is he's a sneaky pick as far as somebody to to maybe come in and, and shake things up a little bit all right let's go on to 21 uh, Nebraska right now, Nate, with four in-state offers out, um, I believe, in Nebraska for the state. Can the Huskers go four for four 
when you know it looks like Keegan Johnson's going to give Iowa, K State, and others a long look, even though he's a legacy, mm-hmm. um, and obviously Avante Dickerson, the West Side corner. Um, is going to take a lot of work, but do you think four for four is a possibility or likely, or do you, are you saying three for four right now? You know, I, I think it is likely. Um, it's definitely a possibility. I mean, I, I would, I would say, especially at this point in the game, I, I think that's, it's definitely a possibility. And, and right now I think it's likely, um, that, that they're able to get those guys. I, I wouldn't say that, that any of them are going to be, you know, a stretch or, or that there's just no way it's going to happen. I, I think that, um, you know, like you said, it's it's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, even Keegan Johnson, who I mean, when you look at it on paper, you're like, oh, Husker legacy, Bellevue West. You know, I mean, there's connections there um, up and down the board. But um, you know, he's somebody that I think they're they're going to have to put in their time and effort in recruiting him. And uh, you know, same goes for Dickerson, who is just on fire lately. Who's getting Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Tennessee. Um, you know, all sorts of uh, all sorts of programs from from places that, that typically don't recruit Omaha. Uh, so, I mean, he's he's blowing up and is going to continue to get more and more attention. I think. Uh, I mean, now that the floodgates have officially opened up on on him. So, you know, there's. I mean, those are two guys that that aren't locks by any means. But at the same time, I do think that uh, Nebraska puts in the proper time and effort. Uh, they they should probably end up in Lincoln. All right, Nate, as, as um, we move forward to um, the quarterback position, how do you see the quarterback position in 2021? If you had a crystal ball or a wish list, how do you think things shake out at that position here in the coming months? Yeah, I mean, that might be one of the more interesting positions to, to really watch and follow here in this 2021 class because of how stocked that room is right now. I mean, it, it's, it's making Nebraska's approach – uh, to recruiting the position a little bit different because they, they do have a lot of talent in that room. They don't necessarily need to press for an early commitment like you typically would like to see out of your quarterback. You know, you, you know, you usually want to wrap up your quarterback in the spring or, or no later than early June, uh, if, all, if at all possible, because you know, nine times out of ten, those are your leaders of the class. Those are the guys that that are going to be really proactive and in peer recruiting and and whatever. And and so, uh, but I, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for Nebraska to to uh, to lock up their quarterback that early. I think they're they're able to kind of look at this and and take their time. Uh, you know, maybe. Maybe, you know, definitely want to find the right guy mentally uh, that is going to come in and not expect to be the guy right away uh, or even, you know, as a redshirt freshman to be the guy. I mean, somebody who's going to come in with the right mentality that, that knows that they're going to have to put in the work and compete every day. That's first and foremost, because the last thing you want to do is bring in somebody who's going to shake up that room, because even though there is a lot of talent in there, I think they're all kind of cut out of the same mold. They're all highly competitive and they're not running from any type of competition. So, uh, but, you know, I think the biggest question is going to be, you know, do they, do they kind of go for a, you know, high risk, high reward type of guy, maybe someone who's not quite as polished as what they've signed over the past couple of years, uh, but who could eventually be with some development could eventually be, you know, a, a big time player or 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 did they go you know the Peter Costelli is the the number one guy I guess that that you'd automatically would point to he's been to campus a couple times he's a four-star recruit Uh, he's got 15 plus offers or whatever it is now so um, but you know right now I I think that uh, you know I would probably point towards them maybe going for for more 
under the radar type of guy, like a like a Keys uh, out of uh, out of Mississippi or somebody like that. All right, Nate. Well, it, we we made it again. Another signing day yep. in the books. Um, you and I have spent a lot of years on signing days together, and this was probably one of our our lighter our <laughs> yeah. lighter workloads. Um, no doubt about that. But we did it again, and congrats and thanks, Nate, for all the work you, Mike, Brian, uh, Greg Peterson, the entire recruiting team did throughout the year. You bet. All right, well, that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.